Hello, my name is Taylor Marsh, and welcome to Sacred to Psychic. I'm a thriller writer. My women characters live where there are few safe spaces. I delve in the hidden spaces in the mind, surfing dark shadows. These are themes of disruption, especially when sacred outreach taps psychic portals. This is my playground. Here we go. The title of the blog post is J.K. Rowling writes about her reasons for speaking out on sex and gender issues. Top of the piece, it is, there is a warning, this piece contains inappropriate language for children. This is kind of interesting considering that J.K. Rowling writes for children. Of course, her books are for children of all ages, but I, I assume you know what I mean. So this is, um, this is a blog post she wrote. After reading a headline, at least I think I've got the chronology right, uh, after reading a headline that stated, quote, creating a more equal post-COVID-19 world for people who menstruate. Evidently, the word really triggered so I am going to read a couple of things from this post, the why you know that she writes about her speaking out on sex and gender issues, which uh, from what I, my research shows, it, it really was triggered by that menstruation quote and the word people instead of women. This is about who is a woman and who is not for her. I'm not. I, I'm just telling you what this is uh, her beef. And it, it's so interesting that it happened in the same week that Sports Illustrated featured their first transgender. Uh, the irony of these things, the satire involved in what I'm about to describe to you, and many of you may have already read about this, the letter, uh, the open letter about uh, justice and uh, open debate in Harper's Magazine. I'll get to that in a minute. But after the headline about menstruation, this is one of a part of a very long piece on J.K. Rowling's own. Um, and it's a couple para paragraphs in, and it begins, For people who don't know, last December I tweeted my support for Maya Forstater, a tax specialist who'd lost her job for what were deemed transphobic, that's in quotes, tweets. She took her case to an employment tribunal asking the judge to rule on whether a philosophical belief that sex is determined by biology is protected in law. Judge Taylor ruled that it wasn't. My interest in trans issues predated Maya's case by almost two years, during which I followed the debate around the concept of gender identity closely. I've met trans people and read sundry books blogs and articles by trans people, and she goes on. Um, on one level, my interest in this issue has been professional because I'm writing a crime series set in present day, and my fictional female detective is of an age to be interested in and affected by these issues herself, but on another, it's intensely personal, as I'm about to explain. All the time I've been researching and learning, accusations and threats from trans activists have been bubbling in my Twitter timeline. This was initially, initially triggered by a quote-unquote like, 
When I started taking an interest in gender identity and transgender matters, I began screenshotting comments that interested me as a way of reminding myself what I might want to research later. On one occasion, I absentmindedly liked instead of screenshotting. The single like was deemed evidence of wrong think, and a persistent low level of harassment began. Months later, I compounded my accidental like crime by following Magdalene Burns on Twitter. Magdalene was an immensely brave young feminist and lesbian who was dying of an aggressive brain tumor. I followed her because I wanted to contact her directly. Uh, it goes on. Um, however, as Magdalene was a great believer in the importance of biological sex and didn't believe lesbians should be called bigots for not dating trans women with penises, dots were joined in the heads of Twitter trans activists and the level of social media. I mentioned all this to explain that I knew perfectly well what was going to happen when I supported Maya. I must have been on my fourth or fifth cancellation by then. I expected the threats of violence to be told I was literally killing trans people with my hate to be called uh, the C word and the B word and of course for my books to be burned although one particularly abusive man told me he'd composted them. It goes on. Uh, I'd step back for Twitter for months. It goes on and then here we go. Uh, immediately, activists who clearly believed themselves to be good, kind, and progressive people swarmed back into my timeline, assuming a right to police my speech, accused me of hatred, called me misogynistic slurs, and, above all, as every woman involved in this debate will know, TERF. And that is spelled with all caps, T-E-R-F. If you didn't already know, and why should you, TERF is an acronym coined by trans activists, which stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. So this goes on and on. She gets into... It's... Um, here's one. The third is that as a much-banned author, I'm interested in freedom of speech and have publicly defended it, even... Uh, here's one of the last paragraphs. On Saturday morning, I read that the Scottish government is proceeding with its controversial gender recognition plans, which will in effect mean that all a man needs to become a woman, and that's in quotes, is to say he's one. To use a very contemporary word, I was triggered. Ground down by the relentless attacks from trans activists on social media when I was only there to give children feedback about pictures they'd drawn from my book. Okay, it goes on. I couldn't shut out those memories, and I was finding it hard to contain my anger and disappointment about the way I believe my government is playing fast and loose, loose with women's safety. So, huge numbers of women are justifiably terrified by trans activists. I know this because so many have gotten in touch with me. The one thing that gives me hope is that the women who can protest and organize are doing so, and they have some truly decent men and trans people alongside them. The supreme irony is that the attempt to silence women with the word turf may have pushed more young women towards radical feminism than the movement's paragraph. The last thing I want to say is this. I haven't written this essay in the hope that anyone, anybody, will get out a violin for me, not even a teeny one. <laughs> She's amazing. I never forget that inner complexity when I'm creating a fictional character and certainly never forget it when it comes to trans people. All I'm asking, all I want is for similar empathy. 
similar understanding to be extended to the many millions of women whose sole crime is wanting their concerns to be heard without receiving threats. That again, it is. I, I'm not going to criticize her for the for the piece. Uh, too many people have already done that. She's allowed to say what she wants, even when she's wrong. Uh, I I just have to marvel uh, at the irony. Maybe it's satire. One LA col columnist called it satire, and she may be right. Uh, of white, privileged, rich, going off like this subject is difficult in the best of circumstances and becomes impossible when a woman as powerful as J.K. Rowling and her cohorts like Noam Chomsky and all these other people from the New York Times and all these colleges, these institutions, to come out and say that basically trans people or a trans woman isn't a woman. I don't have this problem uh, with others who decide to declare themselves who they are. Uh, I understand she does. I understand a lot of white people have a lot of problems with a lot of people these days. Right now, white people just need to listen more especially privileged people. So from that came a, an idea for an article in Harper's Magazine. Okay, so this happened on July 7th, and here it is. It's a short one. Our cultural institute, uh, the, the title of, his, of it is A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. Our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. Powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society, not least in higher education, journalism, philanthropy, and the arts. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. As we applaud the first development, we also raise our voices against the second. The forces of illiberalism are gaining strength throughout the world and have a powerful ally in Donald Trump, who represents a real threat to democracy. But resistance must not be allowed to harden into its own brand of dogma or coercion, which right-wing demagogues are already exploiting. The democratic inclusion we want can be achieved only if we speak out against the intolerant climate that has set in on all sides. I have to stop here. Has set in on all sides. All right, going on. The free exchange of uh, information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more constricted. While we have come to expect this on the radical right, censoriousness is also spreading more widely in our culture. An intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in a blinding moral certainty. We uphold the value of robust and even caustic counterspeech from all quarters, but it is now all too common to hear calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought. More troubling still, institutional leaders in spirit of panicked damage control are delivering hasty and disproportionate punishments 
instead of considered reforms. Editors are fired for running controversial pieces. Books are withdrawn for alleged inauthenticity. Journalists are barred from writing on certain topics. Professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class. A researcher is fired for circulating a peer-reviewed academic study. And the heads of organizations are ousted for what are sometimes just clumsy mistakes. Whatever the arguments around each particular incident, the result has been to steadily narrow the boundaries of what can be said without the threat of reprisal. We are already paying the price in greater risk aversion among writers, artists, and journalists who fear for their livelihoods if they depart from this consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in agreement. This stifling atmosphere will ultimately harm the most vital causes of our time, there's a restriction of debate, whether by a repressive government or an intolerant society, invariably hurts those who lack power and makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. The way to defeat bad ideas is by exposure, argument, and persuasion, not by trying to silence or wish them away. We refuse any false choice between justice and freedom, which cannot exist without the, each other. As writers, we need a culture that leaves us room for experimentation, risk-taking, and even mistakes. We need to preserve the possibility of good faith disagreement without dire professional consequences. If we, don't, if we won't defend the very thing on which our work depends, we shouldn't expect the public or the state to defend it for us. I want to repeat one line. That's the end of this. And then it, the list of signatories is forever. And uh, most of them are white. So uh, it doesn't matter who put the letter together. Uh, one, I'm going to say this a, a, a again. The restriction of debate, whether by rep repressive government or an intolerant society, invariably hurts those who lack power and makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. I think what J.K. Rowling in particular misses about her, this letter is the very people she's um, angry with, starting with the people who menstruate and the, the issue of who gets to call themselves a woman, these are the people who lack power um, and have no voice. Uh, the African-American, the brown people, the transgender, the, the, these people, um, these, these marginalized people in white America have been dissed for 200 years, 400 years if you want to go back to 1619. And I'm not being flip, I'm being serious. Uh, all my books have, uh, are interracial. My very first uh, book... Uh, the female lead, her best friend, is African-American. In, in, in Dr. Kate Winter's team, there is a black man, a Hispanic woman, there's an Asian man. Uh, in Citizen Kate, my latest political thriller, which is what I'm going to talk about later, I'm so excited, uh, she is dealing with uh, issues of race throughout in Citizen Kate, there is an African-American senator. They are fighting uh, white nationalists. I bring in these people. Now, I'm sure that I could be criticized for some of my, my words. Uh, maybe they're not perfect, 
uh, maybe, but I, I understand, I grew up with this kind of tension. And it's, and it's really ironic that uh, J.K. Rowling does not understand what, that the very people that this letter is, is going after, whether it's trans or people of color, these are the people that are yelling at her because she is telling, she's talking about their experience with life. You can say, I'm uncomfortable with this, but to say that they don't get to call themselves what they feel, especially since they feel identified at, at, at birth in gender dysphoria, I can't find anything more satirical or ironic or just arrogant of all the people in this Harper's letter. It stunned me to read it. It was, it was so, so obvious from a group of privileged institutions, people who have comfy jobs in the New York Times and other papers, who never uh, worry about stepping across the line. Uh, it's, 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 um, it's a stunning thing to me uh, to, to read something like that and have these people so toned out. Now, on July 10th, a group of people of color, writers and artists, um, wrote their own reaction to uh, this Harper's letter, uh, and it, it's titled the more, A More Specific Letter on Justice and Open Debate. And I'm going to skip around... <laughs> I'm going to skip around on this, too. On Tuesday, 153 of the most prominent journalists, authors, and writers, including J.K. Rowling, Malcolm Gladwell, and David Brooks, published an open call for civility in Harper's Magazine. They write in the pages of a prominent magazine that's infamous for being anti-union, not paying its interns, and firing editors over editorial disagreements with the publisher. Quote, the free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of liberal society is daily becoming more constricted. The signatories, many of them white, wealthy, and endowed with massive platforms, argue that they are afraid of being silenced, that so-called cancel culture is out of control, and that they fear for their jobs and free exchange of ideas, even as they speak from one of the most prestigious magazines in the country. The letter was spearheaded by Thomas Chatterton Williams, a black writer who believes, quote, that racism at once persists and is also capable of being transcended, especially at the interpersonal level. Since the letter was published, some commentators have used Williams's presence and the presence of other non-white writers to argue that the letter presents a selection, a selection of diverse voices, but they missed the point. The irony of the piece is that nowhere in it do the signatories mention how marginalized voices have been silenced for generations in journalism, academia, and publishing. As a side note, if you're a fan of Joy Reid on MSNBC, she had a show this week that gave a graphic and showed just how many white people there are in journalism and media, and it was over 80%. And I think blacks were uh, 6% or something, and I think they're 14, 15% of the country. This is a systemic problem, and let me tell you, it's also a white male problem. 
because women aren't in editorials. Women are not seen on the thriller list very often. Political thrillers, you won't see a woman in the bestseller list. Women are kept out of uh, many, many realms of fiction. And not just this, they, especially indie authors. You, you can have great success as a, if you want to try romance, but if you try other uh, uh, disciplines in, in fiction, you really run up against a white male wall. And that's the case on editorials. I can't remember... I, when I was doing op-eds all the time, I, I invariably interacted with a man for years, for decades. So I'm going to go on with this. Some of the problems they bring up are real and concerning, and I'll let me just, I will uh, second that. There is a problem in our culture of trying to silence people, but it ain't white people getting silenced. It isn't, sorry about that. It isn't white people getting silenced, and it certainly isn't J.K. Rowling. She just is not used to hearing from an angry public on a subject that affects her less than the people to a little... It's kind of remarkable. Okay, so here we go. Some of it are real and concerning. For example, they seem to be referencing a research being fired for sharing a study on Twitter, but they are not trends, at least not in the way that the signatories suggest. In reality, their argument alludes to, but does not clearly lay out specific examples and undermines the very cause they have appointed themselves to uphold. That is, that is beautiful, appointed themselves to uphold. In truth, black, brown, and LGBTQ plus people, particularly black and trans people, can now critique elites publicly and hold them accountable socially. This seems to be the letter's greatest concern. <laughs> what, see, this is, this, is way, uh, this is the way writers sound when they have nothing to lose. This is the difference in this letter and the other letter. The one with all the people from high-end colleges and the New York Times op-ed and all those other people. These, this this, this uh, letter, it names names. It goes into specifics. This other, this other letter just stands at the top and, dict and, and it's like a speaker that stands up and begins to talk and doesn't really have any, anything to share for you that might help your life. What they want to talk about is themselves. And that's really what that, uh, that first letter, it's, it's beyond J.K. Rowling. I mean, her own uh, process to understand transgender didn't need to be public. Let's be honest. But that's, the more famous you become, the more entitled you become to tell people your opinion, even though no one asked it. Asked for it. Okay, going on. The content of the letter also does not deal with the problem of power. Who has it and who does not? Harper's is a prestigious institution backed by money. They should have put that line there twice. Harper's has decided to bestow its platform to not to marginalize people, but to people who already have large followings and plenty of opportunities to make their views heard. Ironically, these influential people then use that platform to complain that they're being silenced. Many of the signatories have co-workers in their own newsrooms who are deeply concerned with the letter, some who feel comfortable speaking out, others who do not. Now I'm going to jump around a little. Okay, uh, one, they, they list uh, 
the the things that the that the Rowling letter uh, finds objectionable to culture, you know, the writing culture today. One, editors are fired for running controversial pieces. When the signatories claim that editors are fired for running controversial pieces, they seem to be arguing it's a problem that James Bennett, the former opinion editor of the New York Times, was fired. In reality, Bennett resigned because black staffers risked their jobs to publicly point out that Bennett had co-signed off on an opinion piece that called for the use of the nation's military against its own citizenry for exercising their First Amendment's rights. The First Amendment rights. Bennett first defended the piece, then admitted to not reading it before publication. The Times itself admitted that the piece was not up to its own editorial standards, and its publisher said in a letter to staff that the piece was emblematic of a significant breakdown, that's a quote, in editing process. Okay, if you listen to... um, Trump, my podcast will um, more about the Bennett situation there. Both are withdrawn for alleged in the signatory. The signatories claim that books are withdrawn for alleged in authenticity. Sorry about that. This could be a reference to American Dirt. Okay, it goes on. That book was featured as an as part of Oprah's book club, despite the fact that Latinx. Journalists like Bermudez said the story was a far cry from real-life immigrant experiences. It could also be a a reference to, apropos of nothing, Woody Allen's book that was dropped by Hatchet, a major publisher, after employees protested Allen's history of sexual assault allegations. Okay, yeah, here's another part. Manuscripts for books written by non-white authors are not given such leniency. Uh, and it goes on to say the black and brown authors do have book deals, but they are not compensated anywhere close to the same rates as their white colleagues. That is for sure. Going on, in fact, a number of the signatories have made a point of punishing people who have spoken out against them, including Barry Weiss, who made a name for herself as a Columbia University undergrad by harassing and infringing upon the speech of professors she considered to be anti-Israel, and later attempted to shame multiple media outlets into firing freelance journalist Erin Biba for her tweets. Katha Pollitt, whose transphobic rhetoric has extended to trying to deny trans journalists access to professional networking tools, Emily Yoff, who has spoken out against sexual assault survivors expressing their free speech rights, Anne-Marie Slaughter, who terminated her Google-funded organization's partnership with a Google critic, and Carrie Nelson, whose support for free speech apparently does not extend to everyone, just to name a few. It goes on. It's a it's a very long, worthwhile read. Uh, I'll go to the last paragraph, as I did with the other letter. It is impossible to see how these signatories are contributing to quote the most vital causes of our time during this moment of widespread reckoning with oppressive social systems. Their letter seeks to uphold a quote stifling atmosphere end quote and prioritizes signal blasting their discomfort in the face of valid criticism. 
The intellectual freedom of cis white intellectuals has never been under threat en masse, especially when compared to how writers from marginalized groups have been treated for generations. In fact, they have never faced serious consequences, only momentary discomfort. Uh, one, uh, one writer said, wrote something on Twitter today. His name's uh, Charles Blow from the New York Times. And he said, once again, there is no such thing as cancel culture. I have been canceled before cancel culture was even popular. I, it doesn't matter when, but everybody goes through this. If, you're, if you get into the public eye at all, on any level, you don't have to be on MSNBC, which I was, or CNN, which I was, or the BBC, which I was, or interviewed in, in, in innumerable newspapers. If you get out in front as a, as a woman, you're going to get lambasted. Now, I still am a privileged white woman. It doesn't matter that I am barely middle class. Actually, I'm not even middle class anymore. Uh, it's, it's a struggle every day, can I tell you? The older you get as an artist, the harder it is to keep a roof over your head if you don't have a movie contract uh, with your books. And I'm still planning on getting one of those, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, this back and forth was really pretty stunning because you have this, this intellectual back and forth in the middle of Black Lives Matter, J.K. Rowling worried about trans, and then you have the United States of America headed to uh, max out in all their hospitals in red states. You have people dying at the age of 30 from coronavirus because of the viral load, because it's changing, because it's mutating, because it's airborne. This is a scary time, and then this happens. You know, the intellectuals are having one conversations, the marginalized are going, oh my God, you're listening to these people. And then I'm looking there as, as someone that's uh, commented on, on politics and social me media and entertainment and books and the like for my entire life. And I've got to say, it seems like we've lost the priority. And I say we, I see white people. What in the world are all those white people doing signing a letter that doesn't say anything specific? It just, it just says, here we are from our vaunted space, and you need to not be in my Twitter feed yelling at me. I don't know what's so hard about ignoring these people. I don't know what's so hard about just turning them off. Uh, I'm not part of the establishment for a reason, because I knew... I didn't have the temperament for it. I wasn't made for it. I'm an artist. I'm supposed to rattle. I'm supposed to shake. And I'm supposed to make people get up and want to roll forward with power for people who want equality. We want fairness. We want a planet we can breathe on. We want f clean air. And I don't care what they're doing next door. I just don't care. So... Um, Mary McNamara in the L.A. Times, I'll read you a little bit of this because you've had a lot of reading today. Uh, the column is, cancel culture is not the problem, the Harper's letter is. Amen, sister. Here's how you know that satire is an elemental force of the universe. 
Even as many were celebrated, celebrating the firing of the I Feel Threatened guy, a Florida man made infamous by a widely circulated video of him screaming threats at a woman who had asked him to wear a mask at Costco, which requires masks, Harper's Magazine published an open letter signed by many famous and well-respected people criticizing progressives for, among other things, creating, quote, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, end quote, that has led to folks being fired. In other words... A call to cancel, cancel culture. Okay, Boomer. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I realize we are all under a lot of pressure these days, and the novel coronavirus shutdown has forced many of us to spend far too much time in our own heads. But what do you even call a cultural juxtaposition like that? Well, for accuracy's sake, let's just call it Tuesday. The day a group of established writers and activists appeared to be defending people like a man who, while wearing a quote-unquote ruling the world since 1776 t-shirt and flip-flops, had a vicious and potentially lethal meltdown in a superstore. Actually, I'm going to assume that the signatories of the quote, letter on justice and open debate, end quote, were not all that concerned about some random guy losing his job for being a complete jerk although they mention no specifics during their criticism of what they perceive as a growing intolerance and censoriousness among liberals, they make it pretty clear. The calls, the quote, calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought, end quote, that concern them most involve either themselves or people they might know. The vagueness of the examples forced many readers to guess was one of the editors, editors quote-unquote, fired for running controversial pieces, James Bennett, who resigned from his post, and it goes on from there, talks about that. Going on, was the, quote-unquote, good-faith disagreement that should be preserved a reference to J.K. Rowling, a letter signatory who has been criticized for her recent assertions that trans women are something other than women? In the mixed and heated response, exactly what such a provocative missive is written to provoke, the letter became a Rorschach test of subtext. Many saw it as supporting Rowling, and others who believe that gender is fixed and a biological determination. Others saw it as criticism of a recent push spurred by Black Lives protests for increased diversity among media platforms, including the LA Times, and a reevaluation of how those platforms name and cover black communities and protests. Skipping on. Any way you look at it, the timing is odd. I have no idea why those who wrote and signed it thought that in the middle of a global pandemic and a worldwide uprising against law enforcement's long history of racist brutality was an ideal moment to give young people a stern talking to about the moral and societal risks of cancel culture. The letter often hints, asserting that while calls for racial and social justice are good things, whew, quote, resistance must not be allowed to harden into its own brand of dogma or coercion which right-wing demagogues are already exploiting. Ah, so fear of President Trump and his supporters and of their talent for shouting hypocrite and, quote, fake news are, at least in part, the motivation. Yes, Trump and his supporters will definitely cool it 
if only young lefties on Twitter quiet down. I am old enough to disdain cancel culture, though not for the reasons this letter gives. So uh, she goes on. Uh, that's in the L.A. Times, and the writer is Mary McNamara, and it, it goes on. It's really good. I thought it was uh, particularly important, uh, her note on the satire of the moment, not the least of which was added at the end about being in the middle of a pandemic. And it's once again, it's older people in comfortable positions saying, no, we're doing this for you, but they're the ones that just want to be left alone because as you get older, you don't, a lot of people don't like the noise. They just want to be respected and, yes, of course, and then just move on with their life. They don't want to have these uh, unpleasant back and forth. They don't want the confrontations. Well, then I got news for you. Why not just learn about your... Uh, transgender uh, ideas and then put them in a book and then let the book speak for itself. She can't tell them what's true. She can tell, she can say she doesn't like it. I hope this all comes to some sort of positive uh, outcome, but unfortunately, there are times when you do these things and then there are times that you don't. And this is just not one of those times to do it because I'm just going to say it. The energies are not conducive to confrontation. They're conducive to explosion and being cut out of someone's life. If you, if you decide to have a confrontation in the next few weeks or had one recently, it was probably difficult. Well, if you have it now, you better watch out because you're going to get more than you bargained for. And I think that's what happened with this letter signatory. I, I don't think Harper's in this group have a clue of what's going on. The fact that they would even write this and publish this there proves that. It, it's just drips of privilege, white power, uh, ignorance, tone deafness. And I think it's horrible when people won't let you speak your piece. And that it came about at the same time that I decided to put a new cover on Citizen Kate was just, the timing was just perfect. And I wrote, a, I wrote an article about this because it was a year ago. Well, it was over a year. Actually, it was February in 2019 when Representative Elijah Cummings, who used to, when he was alive, was a congressman from Maryland, a, 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 just a giant politician, and he asked from his chairman's seat, though a time will come, and this is not a quote, it's a paraphrase, it's in, the, it's in a piece I've done, um, the time will come when you will be asked what you did in 2019, and you need to know that you stood up. Are you going to stand up? Are you going to present yourself with what's going on in this country? And too many artists are silent to protect themselves. And it's really silly to do this because indie, indie artists um, are not going to be affected by uh, standing up for your country unless you do so in a racist manner. If you're, if you're part of the Trump coalition, you're in trouble because this is the last gasp of the Confederacy. We're seeing it finally be pulled out by the roots like you would uh, crabgrass in your yard. Uh, we're seeing this now. It is a positive thing. And we are we're going to have to fight all the way through 
November and December to change this country. And when I wrote this book, um, I wrote it the same in the same year as I wrote Maybe Fatal, which I'm so grateful it um, it really gave me the boost that all fiction writers need. Uh, but I knew I wanted to write a political thriller, even after the the, the um, research that said very few readers. There aren't very many women doing political thrillers. There just aren't. And so I I still had to do it. And the first the first cover I I did I really loved it, but I also knew when I published the book uh, something had happened over the summer. It was really a wild summer. There was a lot of um, really mystical things going on in my life last year uh, when I was by myself out on the eastern shore writing and conjuring. And I knew that the house we had been renting for years was going to be sold. I just knew it. It, These things happened to me. So I knew it was going to be sold. So I knew that 2020, uh, at the same time, I knew 2020 was going to be really hard because a move is really hard. Well, I still had to write it, so I put it together, and I got it covered together, and I published it in 2019, and I didn't do much publication, I didn't do much marketing on it because something wasn't fitting right. I knew the book was powerful, I knew that uh, the, the, the black story that I was telling in this, like I told in Maybe Fatal, and I've told before, Maybe Fatal has some very strong... Um, uh, African-American stories in it. But uh, this one, I knew it was going to hit some nerves, but last October, things weren't like they are now. And the last six months, a lot has changed. COVID has changed. Uh, uh, the, the, the support that Trump has from his own base. You saw Black Lives Matter you know, run to the streets. You saw all the conflagration. You saw all these things because the energies in the world are changing because of the, the many things happening in the world of astronomy and astrology and the, the tightness, uh, that ripple effect of these energies that these planets, um, you know, bring in the universe uh, and we absorb way out here. And I knew also, once it was published, that there would be a better time because I suddenly knew that we were going to have a tectonic move, that we were going to have this really big move. And it, it just jostled everything. And I tell my husband of these, these um, instinctual tugs I have into the future, and we made a plan, and it changed our lives. And... This week really became the moment when Citizen Kate, the book, the thriller, became ripe because the things I talk about in this book, the, the violence that is not gratuitous, it's real. It's, it's to make people understand what these white men in power do to people beneath them that can hurt them, especially journalists. Uh, it, it talks about... It talks about an, an African-American senator. It, it talks about the struggle of politics and the white nationalists in this country 
uh, not specifically Boogaloo and some of these others, but named by other uh, names. This is a, a spectacular thriller, uh, if you like political thrillers. But I was so excited to be able to get this new cover and, you know, relaunch the new cover in the fall in hopes it'll be on sale, uh, I think it's next week, the 18th to the 24th of July. It is really, a, really worth reading. I, um, I'm so excited that it finally matched up. Sometimes with my, my, my instincts and my, when I reel out into the future, I, I unearth information that is, that I can, that I can, I can work with, but I also have to understand that even if I publish this book, you may have to wait for the audience. And I felt that about a lot of my books, and I, I'm, I'm mulling another book that could put, you know, really pull all my, all my, um, my fictional books together. It is a time to pick a side. It is a political thriller in black and white. And this letter from Harper's is part of the problem that I, I am fighting against. The, the writing that I have that is interracial, that speaks of the real truth, that speaks of uh, a white president that isn't Donald Trump but went to school in him and knows that there are other ways to exploit our system unless we get a Congress to, re to rein in the, the powers of the presidency. Uh, we are so close to tripping into autocracy. I told my, my, my many, many readers in politics that the system had held, the system had held, the system has held. I'll tell you, the last few days, we are in trouble. If you are old enough to vote, you need to, you need to get in your neighbors and your friends' faces, you need to get them registered. There's nothing that matters more if you are, especially if you are a marginalized voice, this Harper's letter and the response to the Harper's letter, this is a moment that we really can change things and we can get people out of power all across America, including in the newsrooms, including in the cable networks. We can all do this. And I am really proud to relaunch Citizen Kate with the cover of my dreams and in, an interior story that I'm so proud of, and I hope you read it. Stay safe. Wear a mask, people. You've been listening to Sacred to Psychic. I'm Taylor Marsh. You can reach me at www.taylormarsh.com. And remember, it's not fate. It's your choices. <laughs>